The year is 1987. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And I'm Matt. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year. I'm Dave Busing, the founder of ComicBookHerald.com. I, today, I'm going to talk about 1987 Marvel Comics, but I'm not going to talk alone. I'm not alone. I am joined by one individual who has been bathing in spiders for days, getting prepared for this all-Spider-Man 1987 mm. special edition. It's Zach Dean. Zach, could you brush some of the spiders out of your hair first and then tell us how you're doing today? Uh, they taste horrible, but I will not stop eating them. Yeah, it's part of my training. For, now uh, you, for this, this one of the first things you told me was you have eaten lots of bugs before. Oh, I did go to like a an insect dinner, like at yeah, the, uh, the college nearby. They had uh, they like served insect meals with like you know dehydrated crickets, sa- sa- salt and vinegar crickets. Those crickets uh, were so thirsty. They were, they they were, were just cons. They were just water, please water. Yeah. It was real sad. Good. I don't know how you could eat them. Pretty good. Yeah, so that's Zach backstory, uh, but we also have a guest on the line who I don't know if he's eaten bugs before or not, but we are welcoming that's today. That's what we're here to find out. <laughs> that's what we're going to grill him on. It's Matt Draper. Matt, have you ever eaten a bug? Well, they say uh, that you consume dozens of spiders every night. They just, sure. they're attracted to the warm wetness of the mouth and they just pour in, you know, all the time. That's, so that's I guess a fair point. I haven't knowingly, willingly eaten any, but uh, I think... You know, I you know I, this comic kind of made me want to try out a, a bit of a spider nosh. Curious. You know, in a way, we're all we're all craving or, or moving that direction now. Matt craving is a, some spiders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt is a a popular Ooh, YouTuber sorry. and uh, also has essays published on Comic Book Herald on occasion that I am quite thrilled to be able to run. Mm-hmm. Matt, mm-hmm. Uh, can you do a quick promo of what people should check out of yours uh, that you'd like to like them to know about? Yes. Well, uh, as Dave was saying, uh, I'm a YouTuber. Um, That may or may not be appealing to you, depending on your uh, feelings about the term. But especially when you throw in comic book YouTuber, that definitely uh, has some connotations, depending on your corner of the Internet. How many... How many action figures of Brie Larson have you cut up with scissors? Just on one. Camera? I wasn't in a good mood that day. <laughs> and I didn't do it on camera either. That was just for me. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Matt Draper, because I couldn't think of any other name that I liked besides my own. And uh, I do video essays about comic books, but also uh, movies, some video games, some TV. Basically, anything that's uh, really appealing to me but um yeah that's the gist of it and as dave was saying he's been very um very kind to host my videos on comic book herald uh with the the printed essays which is which is nice because i i feel like i put the most time and effort into the writing there so having it be in the written form is awesome being able to see that because as a former journalism major it kind of makes me feel uh, as though my my work has some sort of legitimacy Getting some mileage. Oh yeah, out of the major. That's right. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. So we're excited to have you today. We're going to talk again. This is a huge batch of Spidey comics, all Spidey all the time. I feel like it's been 
forever on yeah. my Marvel this year mm-hmm. since we've really dug into what's going on with Peter Parker and the world of Spider-Man. And that is what we're going to do today. So the reading list, you can find them in the show notes. Um, you can also find them ahead of time if you want access to the master spreadsheet on patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Uh, if you are so inclined to support the show, we greatly appreciate it. If you don't want to do that, another great way to support the show is to go over to iTunes and consider rating and reviewing My Marvelous Please. Year, which goes a, a very long way. And most importantly, it makes us smile. It makes us real, real happy. So, all right, let's dig into the Spider-Man comics we're going to talk about today because uh, there's a whole bunch and, frankly, some enormous ones. First, the original graphic novel, Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Oh, was it's this a Marvel's... graphic novel? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, is this, this is an OG, I it isn't it? Like a, I don't know. Well, I thought it was just like a double-wide Depends issue. on your definition of the term, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, that's they actually had, an interesting like, question. Graphic novel line at the that's time. That's right, right? that's like, right. Graphic novel number. With, like, New Mutants but, and uh, with Triumph and Torment. No, I, yeah, I, I think well. you're right, Zach, in that it's just called Spider-Man and Wolverine number one, which actually makes me think it's just, like, an oversized one-shot. But it's it 65 is, yeah. pages, and it's exactly like all the other OGNs. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why it wouldn't for, be. It was only 250 I'm looking at it now, so I don't think it was a graphic novel. 250 what? Cost? It says on it says on the front like it has the the price printed on the front. That's like That's cover. a steal. That's like $16 in olden time money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You, you know, could get a whole you could, could get a whole dinner for that, a whole steak dinner for two fifty <laughs> back in eighty seven. Um, but this is so this is written, even if it's not officially an OGN, it's written by Jim Owsley, who uh, comics fans today probably know better as Christopher Priest, and penciler Mark Bright, inker Al Williamson, colorist Petra Scortesi, and letterer Bill Oakley, edited by Ann Nascenti. Zach, did I just blow your mind telling you this was written by Priest? No, I, I looked it up because <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, who's this Osley guy? I looked yeah. it up this afternoon after I read it and uh, and then found that out. But no, I did not know that going in, that we were, that Priest was starting this early. I knew he had started somewhere in the 80s. But mm-hmm. um, So the first black writer for Marvel, first uh, black editor for Marvel as well. Yeah, he's an editor of and, Marvel and during and this time. It is wild that he's black, the like, first black writer we've seen, I think. The first main uh, black writer, editor in mainstream comics, period, uh, which is still pretty notable yeah it's a huge deal it's a huge deal and uh and guess what spider-man vs. wolverine it's pretty good <laughs> it's, a, it's a good story uh it digs into spider-man wolverine sort of teaming up over the course of a uh, investigation basically that just brings them together and we get some big old potential hobgoblin reveals as well as the death of a main character so unsurprisingly as we talk about these comics spoilers will follow including a spoiler for uh, a character many of us know well from the MCU, believe it or not, <laughs> even though the MCU version of this character is absolutely nothing like the one we're going to see here. Oh, I don't uh, know who guys, about, so. you don't know who I'm talking about. It's my man Ned yeah. Leeds. You love that joke. Oh, joke. oh, oh, yeah, sorry. I, I always forget that that's Ned Leeds, right? He's yeah. Ned Leeds. Yeah. yeah, I can't yeah. wait till he gets it garroted by the KGB <laughs> in the MCU. <laughs> yeah, that, that kid is going to. I don't think Yankee fans could take that. No. I, I really don't. Um, so, so this is, I think, a nice issue. It's a good Spider-Man Wolverine t- uh, team up. Zach, we've been talking a lot lately about Spider-Man Wolverine team ups in the Ultimate Universe and kind of their relationship being a highlight uh, of what's going on over in the Marvel Ultimate scene. I don't think we've yeah. seen as much of that in uh, mainstream Marvel necessarily. Mm-hmm. This definitely leans into that in a way that I think is very successful. Uh, Matt, kicking it over to you. Have you read this before? And regardless, what is your take on this work? I'd never read it before, actually. It was always one of the ones that was like, um, oh, I should check that out sometime. I totally forgot that it was Priest. 
because whenever I hear mm-hmm. uh, James Owlsley, I, I do the double take of like, right, right, that's Christopher Priest. So it, it always kind of mm-hmm. takes me a second to think about it. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was solid. I felt like um, as I was going through, skipping ahead a bit, I, I felt it to, to be a little lopsided in its quality, actually. I thought mm. that his writing for Wolverine was a lot stronger than Spider-Man. Uh, mm-hmm. I just felt like he had a better voice uh, for Logan, and I don't know. He Priest is generally a little bit more of like a, a hard bitten, hard boiled writer, I think, just a bit. Yeah. Um, and I felt like he was naturally just a little bit more inclined to Wolverine's tone. I think um, I enjoyed both sides, um, but I, I, I liked it. And, and again, I hadn't read it before, so I totally forgot this is where Ned Leeds bites it. And it was so funny because yeah. it just came out of like nowhere. And I yeah, thought, yeah. oh, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I almost thought, lame, right? yeah, I thought it was going to be like a, like a fake out for a second when it happened, even though I know that he, he died around the time. So it was, it was, it was strange to, to kind of read that. Yeah, w- I mean, not, not that like it salvages it by being like, well, later they retconned this into, I mean, immediately they retconned it into something a little bit more meaningful, mm-hmm. but like in the moment it feels very like arbitrary and kind of just like, oh, there goes Ned. And it's like, who, I already like, who killed him? I don't remember. Like a KGB guy like this. It, it feels so superfluous to the main story. Like you forget that Ned Leeds is even in town with him. And yeah. then a character we've known since the sixties, <laughs> like who's had a pretty intense relationship with Peter Parker uh, is just like killed off screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ned, feels- just to, to back it up for people who may be forgetting. So this Ned is, uh, he's the current husband or becomes the husband of Betty Brant. Right, the the really Spider Man's first love interest, Peter Parker's first love interest in the '60s Silver Age, and he is here, I believe, uh, they are abroad, and I'm gonna I'm gonna assume this is like they're both they both been sent by the Bugle yeah, uh, on some yeah. okay on some out of town work. So that's that's like the rationale for why he's here and why we care about Ned <laughs> at this point in time. But you're right, it definitely it definitely is very sudden. You know, his his the build up to his death isn't much. Really, that happens around the midway point of the book kind of out of nowhere and then it becomes Wolverine and Spider-Man on the hunt for like what what's actually going on here and Wolverine's in town not because of Ned obviously but now he's there tracking the same individuals who happened to uh to kill poor Ned Leeds who by the end of this book there's the there's the um implication that Ned is actually the hobgoblin which is another twist in this sort of seemingly ongoing endless cycle of who's the hobgoblin but which there's already another gets, hobgoblin like by the before, time we're done like, here yeah that that won't even yeah. stand up right well to yeah. skip ahead a little bit like those implications aren't un- even until um the next issue spider-man 289 yeah like right. it yeah. ends with, yeah so it's, it's not addressed here it, to, to jump ahead like it ends with with peter's back in the u.s and Jameson is like, where's Ned? And he's like, oh, my God, I forgot he died. Like, <laughs> I left the body in Europe. Oh, geez. Jameson's going to yeah. be so mad at me. And then, like, the end. <laughs> yeah. So so to your point, Matt, uh, about, like, their voices, um, I think I do agree. He's better Wolverine than Spider-Man. Because, like, I couldn't tell... It, was he intentionally trying to make Spider-Man, like, a dorky lame <laughs> Because, like, I mean, you, he mentioned, like, Spider-Man. Was this the one where Spider-Man goes home and is like, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, no, that was the next one. But, like, he's like, I don't have any records except the monkeys. I ha- don't, That's the next I, one, yeah. I haven't been keeping up on Dallas. Like, I've got no personal life. <laughs> and then him and MJ go to a, a movie and she's like, pretty fun time, right? And he's like, pfft. I don't know what's so fun about watching a guy with a machine gun. Like, 
I don't know. Chris, so I get this all the time from Christopher Priest. He's not particularly one of my favorite writers. He kind of, he's just got this grouchiness to him. <laughs> he's got this like old man yelling at the kids vibe. But the thing is, he was like 28 when he wrote this. So I don't know what's going <laughs> on. Old, but I've got I do think him. that vibe kind of works for Spider-Man. I mean, I will. Like Spider-Man I, is I, not that cool. Yeah, Peter, actually, yeah, like Peter Parker by true. definition it, is very uncool. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, just, I wasn't sure how but... intentional that was. Yeah, yeah. No, if, if that's intentional, then sure. Um, I just always get that tone from Christopher Priest. Like he just has, and it's weird because like you feel like he he wants to like make fun of this like hyper machismo action thing, but that's kind of all he does um, in his work. Like he's very, I I don't know. It, it feels like uh, I the, the like self awareness is not quite there in this comic for me um and and it like the wolverine stuff is a little bit of the like the, the worst kind of wolverine where wolverine is just like a mindless killing machine and it kind of wants you to think that that's really fun and cool um he in, loves in a murder. way that like well this wolverine right, loves it, murder and it like it tries to do that like i mean it does what logan does which i feel like it has its cake and eats it too which is like it wants to be all about logan being like ugh, like i hate i hate these damn claws and killing people but then at the same time like look how fun it is and exciting it is for him to slice up these guys well and you know, it balances kinda... it out the way they always do which is well he has a love interest and if, if he cares about a lady i'm sure <laughs> yeah, the right. fact that he murders all these people must be oh like, that, we can I... resolve that now so all, all that other stuff I was saying is very minimal, like nitpicking. I think overall this works fine. I think the art's really good um, by Mark Bright and um, colored by Petra Scozzi, like you said. Um, it's not but... overly inventive, but there are moments that stand out mm-hmm. quite well. I do think yeah. the action, especially the Spider-Man versus Wolverine brawl, is, is delivered yep. uh, extremely well. And like so that the way this builds towards the end is Wolverine is going to murder his girlfriend in a graveyard. As right, we, so this, as, this as is what I was going to say. This is what ruins <laughs> the, the thing whole thing. Does for me yeah i mean he's gonna murder her because at some point the kgb is gonna catch you and kill you like you're you're also a super spy who's incredibly capable but yeah we just know that some point the kgb is gonna get you so i might as well just kill you now and not even give you a chance to you know try to escape them i mean to be fair that is how i spend i spend most of my life is is the assumption that the KGB that's, is? I going mean, that's to what happened to your first three wives. Point. Was you know? Well, we <laughs> you don't we don't like to talk about three. that publicly, oh, oh, but sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we try not to air that out. <laughs> Good grief! Uh, yeah. So I mean, um, also the funny thing about looking back at this, you know from from the future is just like 1987 and it's like yeah the kgb will track you for the rest of your life and it's like uh got about well, two years on that yeah before. yeah i don't know i don't know do we though i feel like they're back they had a break we had a break. Like, uh, had a break we had a we had a break yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's some comics where it doesn't apply but now we're back sadly um so yeah so spider-man wolverine he, spider-man shows up at the graveyard at the same time wolverine is about to pop his claws um or i guess really after technically but uh he prevents wolverine from killing her slows him down uh, they fight about that, and then in the course of fighting, Spider-Man is, like, wailing on Wolverine. It's it's definitely, like, it's kind of cool, actually, because we get to see Spider-Man actually unleash on somebody, mm-hmm. which often we don't because he's beating up, like, sad old men, like Adrian Toomes or something, um, and he doesn't get to just go all out. And here he does, but then accidentally he makes a mistake, and he hits the girlfriend, uh, and I apologize that i can't even give her a name just my own memory charlie charlie thank you which wolverine says like too many damn syllables and i'm like wolverine (laughs) it's the same amount of syllables (laughs) you idiot (laughs) what is a strange complaint um but but spidey peter he punches charlie and he actually then kills her technically (laughs) it's Um, it's like suicide by spider-man like and wolverine's (laughs) like she knew exactly what she was doing she saw that he was out of control and she snuck up on him knowing that he would (laughs) lash out this comes up with with pete a lot 
like even today right. like when when writers right, are doing the big uh peter parker takes account of his life and mistakes he's made and there's a there's a really iconic marcos martin drawn story i won't spoil mm-hmm. anything but it's you know um basically it's like the the thesis he comes to is no one dies anymore he's thinking about charlie during a lot really? of that. and like that mistake okay. lives with him um throughout his career so it it is interesting in the snowballing guilt of peter parker that this now gets rolled into uncle ben gwen it's not that level but it's another piece of that again snowball um, right so it, it has some weight to it well I, you you forgot or forgot to mention that wolverine stabs her before uh yeah he, she's he's already gonna do oh, yeah. the that whole like had he has he already done that to um marco i forget maybe that's a spoiler but someone else he's 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 done some mercy killings before know. Uh, yeah. Or he has, he will eventually. He does it to, just, it's to her. So flimsy, though. Is it a really a mercy killing? Like, yeah. That, that that whole thing just rung so false to me. And like, then just... he like flinches or something because of Spider-Man and doesn't quite like pop her heart or something. And like, so <laughs> exactly. she's not quite dead. She's gonna die, but she's not quite. She dead, just needs so, like, one more elbow to the face. <laughs> <laughs> just enough to get the rest of the rest of the blood out of the body um and (laughs) well and it is the ultimate peter parker thing where then he can subsume all of the guilt Mm -hmm. with actually like very little of the actual responsibility if you you know like he takes all the blame because wolverine is doing it intentionally he doesn't not he doesn't care but he resolved himself to do this he wasn't going to feel guilty about it right but wolverine had you know effectively killed her before spider-man ever showed up yes but somehow pete's the one who walks away with all the guilt, which is very much in character for for Peter Parker being loves, immensely guilty all guilt. the time, yeah. <laughs> he loves yeah. the guilt. Um, yeah, you were talking about some of the art. Uh, I liked. I wasn't. A, I personally, I wasn't a huge fan of the art. I felt like the character models were a little wonky sometimes. Um, but I liked some of the the splashier stuff. Like every so often, they do that all pink panel with the white splashes. You know, the blood yeah. and stuff like that, or the bullets. And um, mm, yeah. Just to express like the chaos of Wolverine's fight, the the scene where he finds Ned Leeds is actually pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Like a big close up on his eyes, looking like terrified, and then cut to Ned's body, and it really just lets the like the image sit there. Yeah, I think that was effective for a moment that I don't think works like written, but I think on the page sold it a little bit for me. Yeah, and I think that this comic sits in a funny place and time for Wolverine also because this is this is after his miniseries. Uh, but this mm-hmm. is before mm-hmm. his ongoing. So he's already kind of been established as like the whole, like, I'm a killer and I'm the best there is at what I do. But he hasn't had like a lot of time to like develop as a solo character outside of um, X-Men. And also like they're not, they're not allowed to be very graphic yet, right? So they're doing the whole yeah. like Wolverine kills and Wolverine, you know, is a, you know, a bloody person and does all this stuff. But they can't really show it yet. So we're right. trying to like <clears throat> traffic in this like... Wolverine as the uh, cold-blooded killer with still a good heart and but but also like we can't show any of it I thought that was you can kind of tell with especially with the pink panels the, the pink and white stuff is cool stylistically but it's them going like how much can we do how much can we get away yes. with um, before you know before the the you know the guidelines say no more yeah, yeah. A lot of like uh, you seeing Wolverine's fist right up against the side of the panel as he's holding somebody's uh, you know collar or whatever, and then you see the schnick. Uh, but 
you know, just off screen. A lot of a lot of that happening. So out of this graphic novel, we then build into um, Amazing Spider-Man 289 and 290. And there's actually like a very tight continuity to the sequence it, of these stories. It does stories. feel like the sequel to it, yeah. Right, totally. So in, in 289 and 290, we move into, again, follow-up to the events of this issue, uh, specifically like, hey, Ned Leeds was was murdered. Um, you know, we have to have some resolution on that. 289 is written by Peter David with art by Alan uh, Kupperberg and Tom Morgan, inks by Jim Fern. And the big cover reveal here, <laughs> again, I feel like we've had this exact cover yes. before, uh, but it's the Hobgoblin revealed. And then we kind of go oh, we have, full steam ahead. I went to, back uh, and to the wedding. <laughs> it says the, the it, but this one says like this time for real, no tricks or something yeah. because yeah. they have done this exact same thing, but it was not actually a reveal. And I think we've said in the past, like I'm, I'm definitely past the point of being super interested in who the hobgoblin actually is. Like they've definitely beaten this drum too often throughout the eighties. I think the stern like debut of hobgoblin, Roger Stern written debut of hobgoblin as a character is kind of as good as it gets. And then, and then he just becomes a less and less interesting Green Goblin. I do kind of like I liked with uh, Scourge over in Cap. I do actually like franchising out the Hobgoblin as an identity. Like, the idea that that is something that a whole bunch of quote-unquote supervillains just pick up and adopt is actually pretty compelling. Like, a Hobgoblin franchise to me is way more interesting than, like, no, secretly there's one identity and we don't know him yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, obviously, that's mm -hmm. kind of what this story does, is trying to be like, no, actually, it's this guy, and getting us to care about that. I'm I'm not sure it succeeds. And also, like, double-sized issue on a single-issue comic, kind of the thing I dread most in doing my <laughs> Marvelous Year. Like, I so rarely want to see... 26 extra pages unless it's a book i know i'm already into and um, also and like add, add on to that that i knew craven's last hunt was coming so yeah. like to, to read all these big extra sized normal spider-man comics knowing i had craven's last hunt showing up I, my impatience couldn't have been high, higher um although i thought these were okay i don't know i They're, appreciate that you didn't just jump ahead you stuck yeah. you stuck to it yeah. like a like a dedicated reader so the, I mean, there's stuff going on. In, there's a lot going on in Spider-Man right now that we have not been covering. Like Silver Sable has been around. There's been a whole thing with that. There's a gang war happening. Um, there's always a gang war. Yeah. At, at this I'm, point no, I think in time, we literally you can just, just assume ended. there's a gang war. There's like a six-issue arc right before this called Gang War. Um, I, I find it tremendously disappointing because it seems like the kind of comic that would be a big deal. And uh, I could never find a reason to jam that into the to the MMY club. It it lets me down every time. I oh gang war or yeah. this oh okay, um because yeah, the reveal of Ned Leeds kind of worked for me. Like <laughs> we kept talking, like I'm like, well, who could it be? Who could it be that I would care about and think like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Ned Leeds was fine, I guess. Although like, why the 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 why was like because Spider Man spooked Betty when she was twenty, <laughs> you know? Like that turned out to be the motivation is the. the the thing that was kind of laughably silly in the 60s when we were reading, like, the Lee Kirby stuff of Betty just being traumatized by Spider-Man in a way that was a little detached from the reality of what was happening. That's the motivation for Ned to, like, take up the Hobgoblin mantle. It's a little At least it's somebody we know, though. Yeah, at least I mean, it's I do something like that. like that, right? That That's what I mean, like... <laughs> it, it's that, flimsy. It, it's definitely flimsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with the whole uh, the double dreading the double page here. This one definitely seemed to kind of drag a bit. It was almost like this is a big reveal, so we got to make it double page to really like incentivize and maybe boost up the 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 price for the issue because we know more people are going to buy it because it's the big reveal. So we want to justify it. So increase the page count. And 
the funny thing that I, I felt about this issue was that um, at the end of Spider-Man versus Wolverine, um, Spider-Man is uh, saying like, oh, the, the Charlie's death is, is haunting me and oh, like I have so much guilt over that. And then Ned is like an afterthought. And then with this one, um, it was like uh, the Char- Charlie wasn't even mentioned, I don't think, in this issue. And it was all about his guilt about Ned Leeds. It like totally reversed everything. Yeah. That's why I was surprised that Dave was saying, like, that, you know, Charlemagne's death mm-hmm. matters later yeah. on, because, like, it feels immediately brushed aside in everything we read now. Well, Again, I guess only much later on is the stuff I'm referencing specifically. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, we, we didn't read a lot. Like, yeah. We read 289 and 290, maybe other comics. Web of Spider-Man or Spectacular Spider-Man is talking about it more. But um, Well, there's that big web of, art, you know, um, art coming up called Charlie's Story. 16 issues <laughs> runs runs from 88 through 90 <laughs> and it's all charlie no you're Shift right <laughs> we should have gotten a charlie solo yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no you're totally right it's it is definitely like okay ned leads a spider-man universe so we better get back to that um it's fine i i actually i guess i, I don't want to spoil anything by saying this but like ned leads stays dead longer than most comic characters i guess is all i'll say mm-hmm. um this actually does stick again like most people just kind of tend to come back and with this though and they're like ah, oh, maybe it was the hobgoblin also he's not coming back um which is you know i guess probably a good thing given how often that revolving door tends to uh tends to just bring people back and lower the stakes yeah, mm-hmm. yeah sure and I was I was reading into the whole hobgoblin history, which like God help me, you know, reading yeah. through that is some insanity. Yeah. But yeah. there's a insanity behind the scenes of Spider-Man when it comes to like decisions regarding characters is pretty common. Um, but like the whole, it was uh, wait, who who was so it? The, creator of the hobgoblin again? It was the original. It was it, the, the original. Who in, who introduced him? The, the Roderick original Kingsley, guy. I think. The oh, the writer, writer. Uh, the Roger Stern. Writer. Stern that Stern had Kingsley in mind and then he left and then uh, DeFalco took it over and went his own way and then wanted it to be uh, I think he wanted it to be Ned Leeds and then Priest had some issues with DeFalco and then killed off Leeds without the go-ahead in versus Wolverine and so they had to do this this retroactive retcon and that yeah. I mean that makes a lot of sense because yeah, like the, it, it does yeah. especially for the like speed of it right. too yeah yeah that does not seem what's that, that doesn't seem like that was right. planned in Wolverine versus so they Spider-Man. were kind of right? re- that doesn't seem what, like what's happening it feels tacked on but at least it happened immediately after and not like three years later um, now Zach well and then there's, there's also that issue had this whole thing where like some there was a bunch of the remnants of the gang war thing where some guy named the foreigner is like put out a hit on the hobgoblin and it was a different hobgoblin and it gets complicated uh, it, it all leads to just uh, some scenes that I did like between this guy named the foreigner who's another like crime boss um, and the kingpin who play chess together every week <laughs> <laughs> and kingpin's like I hope this doesn't ruin our weekly chess game <laughs> Um, but uh, it, they're getting mad at each other because Kingpin's upset because the foreigner's like taking all these uh, these steps without getting permission. Whatever he's being discourteous, and mm-hmm. uh, and how he gets revenge is after their weekly chess game. The foreigner gets onto an elevator and uh, <laughs> and like opens up an envelope and it just says something like checkmate or something. And then the elevator explodes. Yeah, <laughs> and then the foreigner goes back into Kingpin's office, like I guess trudges up the stairs. His suit's all blasted to pieces. He's all covered in ash, and he's just like, huh, you had to blow up the elevator, huh? <laughs> like, he, he, 
just that like scene was very silly and funny to me unintentionally so but it really cracked me up of uh and he's just like all right chess game same time next week yep (laughs) (laughs) it was like he just had to get a little you know assert his dominance by blowing up the elevator (laughs) the guy was in and then it is a little looney tunes yeah it's very looney tunes it was really because it's like this is just a normal man you can't just set off a bomb in his face (laughs) speaking of setting off bombs how how ready were you to see Peter Parker in his tidy whities as often as we get to in these issues? And was it the best part about the next couple issues? Oh, Is it de- he's in there a decent amount. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess apparently it happened a no lot. Impression. It happened a lot. There's a lot of Peter Beefcake um, in these issues as he rocks that 87 mullet. So issues 290 into the annual which is issue 21, is uh, one part, Peter pops the question. He's dating Mary Jane at the time, in case that was not... not no, he's new. not dating Mary Jane at the time. He's dating Felicia Hardy, and she is just yeah, swept drops aside. Yeah, like, like a sack of potatoes. From, uh, yeah, it sucks, kind of. Like she's <laughs> it, The thing is, like, yeah. it's more than uh, just a fling, because he gets back. They know each other's civilian identities. Like He goes mm-hmm. to her apartment as Peter Parker, and he's like, oh, man, I got to sew a new suit. And she's just like, I already have three for you. Well, you were gone. Like, I made you some new suits. And it's like, she's sewing oh, him those black you're suits, like a, too. You're a really you nice know? girlfriend. Like, <laughs> what a good girlfriend. Yeah. And then t- two minutes later, he's just like, damn, I guess I'm going to ask MJ <laughs> to marry me, even though we're not even dating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually curious to go back and find the fallout of that because I'm sure at some point, uh, Black Cat catches up with him, <laughs> right? And figures that out. Yeah. No, for yeah, sure. Yeah. That he's married now and not it showing is, up to her it, house. The timing of it is interesting. Um, uh, definitely, to say the least. So you've got writing here by uh, David Michelini, pencils by John Romita Jr. in uh, 290. And then we go into the, um, we jump ahead to the annual, which is in 21. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of, it does feel a little rushed to get to like, hey, we got to have a Spider-Man MJ wedding. It's been a while since we've had a Marvel Universe mm. wedding. You know, they're kind of a big deal when they do happen. Obviously, back in like Fantastic Four annual number three, we had the wedding of Reed and Sue, which was, you know, a huge deal. But it's also like, hey, we can bring the whole Marvel Universe together. And the Spidey version of that is not bring the whole Marvel Fun. Universe together, but it is bring right. the whole Spider-Man universe together. Right. So it's, it's bringing his own collective of individuals. I these issues don't necessarily do a ton for me. Um, just like as a reader, I like Peter and MJ's relationship, I will like it more over time, I will say. I do also, definitely at this point in my life, I like it when Marvel, as a publisher, was more game to have characters like do big life things Mm -hmm. and progress. For example, get married and have that be the status quo because it's a status quo shift. Even if it's like a small life thing, and getting not to say getting married is that, but it's like actual status quo shifts that stick are meaningful and lead to freshness and different types of storytelling. And that's what this did. And now we've kind of hit a point in 2020 where like characters getting married are almost off the table more often than not. Um, aside from the one example I can just think of, which is important for some reasons, but like, it, like we saw that huge thing with Batman's wedding, you know, just in the news again, like not spoiling anything for any of these comics. We saw the same thing in an X-Men storyline. It's like yeah. the publishers have a fear and this, and this, like, you know, whatever, I'm not going to spoil anything. But it, it's happened over and over again where publishers have this fear of, like, oh, if characters get married, they won't be interesting anymore. And I find the opposite to be true. And fans love relationships and marriages, though. Like, people are gaga about that stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they, you know, don't like the idea. It cuts, it cuts off shipping potential. I mean, the, the downside with, like, Spider-Man, for example, is then if you have him have the fling with the black cat, He's a dirtbag, <laughs> right? And in a way that maybe he can't walk away from as easily. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I actually tend to like 
the movement that this is suggesting for the character because it also like it also gets him out of the rut of being Peter Parker eligible bachelor with uh, Randy Tandy Bambi <laughs> living above him in the apartment, you know, and just kind of these beats that have been played out now throughout the entire decade that I'm I'm just I haven't been super interested in kind of from jump. Um, right. And we get some good MJ stuff, too, which is nice. It, well, yeah, it's, it, you're talking about the, the whole adverseness to marriage thing. It's the need for evergreen IP when you're bought by a big company, right? Like if you're bought by Disney or you're bought by uh, War- Time Warner or AT&T and your character is the uh, the impetus behind a, you know, a billion dollar multi-decade franchise, your characters need to s- exist in some sort of... Uh, you know simulation of reality that never moves Stasis. forward and if you're married yeah. then you have essentially moved forward in your life to some degree you've you you are no longer what you were before not that marriage is a sign of maturity but that you are just somehow progressing in your status in your life you're not spider-man so in high you, school yeah at that point right, right? and that's, well, I saw, that's i saw someone the other day saying that i i'm not up to date on the current spider-man series but that Peter was referenced as being 25. Um, <laughs> sure. And it's yeah. like, that's Wait, insane. Now? Like now? Now. Oh, like that, this that's insane. That last like, week. They've done that with we, Batman yeah. as well. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Like, obviously, the new 52 <laughs> helps. But it's, yeah, it's like, it's this ideal of the perfect superhero uh, man, especially, is a 25-year-old who definitely, definitely has not settled down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And it's just, it, like, in yeah. any regard. It smacks of an unreality, because they're trying to keep it as real, but then it just feels unreal. It reminds me of when I was watching... Did you ever see that uh, that Mummy reboot with Tom Cruise a few years ago? <laughs> I did not. Either no. of you? <laughs> I watched it on a plane. It wasn't even good for a plane movie. But Russell Crowe referred to Tom Cruise as a young man. He called him a young <laughs> He's man. He's like 52, He's, right? Yeah. In, in, in the time of the, the, the filming of the movie, yeah. he was already over 50. Yeah. And it's like, and that immediately took me out of the movie. I mean, not that I was really deeply invested in the movie, but that it was like, this, there's something in here that's completely disconnecting from reality right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the mummy. Right. And, it, <laughs> and yeah, oddly enough, it's the not mummy had more yeah. relation to reality than, than Tom Cruise's <laughs> age did. Yeah. So the actual yeah. wedding issue, um, I, I found a little disappointing. It, it was largely about like focusing on mm-hmm. cold feet and like both of MJ and Big Peter time, Parker yeah. being like, oh, you know, uh, Peter, Peter, a lot of... <laughs> A lot of people being like, "Wow, tie in the big knot, huh? Gonna gonna be married forever, huh?" And he'd be like, "Forever? I never thought of it like that before." It's like, "Are, are you six? Like, he literally said that yeah. at some point, like that marriage is forever. I never considered that." And like, <laughs> there's a lot of things about thoughts like that that bug me. You know, things even like him realizing MJ has a lot of money on the eve of their wedding, and it's like, you guys, you guys didn't like maybe broach the subject of finances right. before you considered well, they, again, marriage they were not, here. They were not even dating, <laughs> you know. Like he just walked into her house and was like, anyway. Um, yeah. No, I mean it's not like the, the thing is like you can have those thoughts of like, oh, it became suddenly real to me because I am facing it, you know. But like j- just the the tone and the writing did not convey like any kind of emotional truth to any of this, and it also just kind of felt like repeating the same beats over and over again. Like it kept bouncing back before back and forth between mj and peter 
going through the same thing of MJ being like, I won't be able to party all the time. And Peter being like, uh, this is forever. I, I don't really know what Peter was worried about, except just the like stereotype mm-hmm. of like man afraid of commitment. It felt a lot. It felt a lot exactly like that. Um, there were yeah. two things I liked a lot about this comic. One was the guy who popped out of MJ's cake at her bachelorette party wearing like a tiny tux bib and was just yoked. He was awesome. He was having a fun time. And he Good was just like, him. Yeah, he wanted to, I mean, he was trying to lure her away from Peter, yep. Well, that wasn't even that guy. That guy was in front of this guy <laughs> oh, I thought who that, was popping oh. out, literally popping out of a giant cake. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> he had no lines. He had no dialogue. I don't, I, but I got his motivation. <laughs> I understood exactly where he was coming from. And then the second thing I really liked was Peter has a dream sequence uh, in this where he's fretting about marriage. And in his dream of a wedding, Doc Ock he says is playing the organ. Oh, he's playing the organ. Yes, that's great. Which is awesome. And all all he, the tentacles he says are something. up helping him. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Captain America is front row. He says it's the American way. So we got, we got full on American cap. And Hobgoblin steals die. the show with a stoic, completely emotionless die, period. Yep. Very so good. good. Yes. Very, very good comedy, whether that was intended or not. Uh, but yeah, Pete and, uh, Pete and MJ, they get married. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, I like, I like the idea of it. This comic was, you know. I'm happy. I mean, even for Craven's Last Hunt, like it adds a, a nice, you know, component yes. to that comic. But. Yes. The, well, Speaking. I was going to say before we move go on, ahead, go ahead. Um, I, I do agree. I felt like uh, a lot of this issue and uh, the, the previous two standard ASM issues just had a lot of filler. Like it was like mm-hmm. we have the yeah. big beats. We've got Hobgoblins. Meandering, review. right? We've got the proposal and we've got the actual wedding. And how do we fill up the rest of the comic? And that was filled with yeah. a lot of like stuff that wasn't essential to the plot. I kind of it was a 289 when he went to Queens, right? And he's kind of defoiling small time crime. And I like that stuff in Spider Man. Like I think that's fun. I generally, like it's fun to get Spider Man out of Manhattan and not have the big buildings they swing around. Instead, have like the smaller stuff and like him in a different setting it is cool. It makes me think of. Um, uh, when cometh the commuter, if you've ever read that one, the uh, yeah. the stern uh, yep. comedy issue of Spider Man, and that's fun. I, I like I I dig that. That's that's cool. But it did feel like it was like we have to put a lot of story in here. We have to fill up our pages. We need to get them to this one moment. So how do we do it? And it was like okay, we're kind of spinning our wheels here for a while, and. Yeah. Well, and that's what yeah. the annual does too, because yeah. it kicks off with you know probably yeah. ten pages of Electro just out like getting right. a new costume. Yeah, right? the the Electro thing was totally just like, well, this is going to be a marriage issue. We got to have a you know, kids love a fight scene. There's got to be yeah. a fight scene in here somewhere. So let's just get mm-hmm. it over with mm-hmm. at the beginning. Which is kind of the reason behind that dream wedding scene too, which was like this is like the the standard cliche comic book superhero yeah. wedding right when all the vil- the villains show up and he's got to fight them off and protect mary jane it's like well we're not going to actually do that in the wedding but we should do you know we should do that in the, the dream and we can kind of get the best of both worlds here um and so i felt like uh, we're trying to like tick a lot of boxes without actually like getting to a lot of places yeah, i would agree and before we move on i've got one more ta- i've got two more tangents Please. i've got two more tangents before we go to the tangent. main event yeah the tangent one was I was thinking about like the costume use in this and so Spider-Man's in his cloth black outfit the non-symbiote uh, black costume because the symbiote's gone and everything but obviously they wanted to keep the look and he's been in it for a while now since Secret couple, Wars like yeah. uh, Dave's years. beloved Secret Wars um, right. and but then I also just 
felt like this like behind the scenes pull for them to try and and get him back in the red and blue constantly like in wolverine versus wolverine they get him (laughs) they give him that really silly contrived reason to get back in the red and blue costume um and then whenever he has his his half face spider sense it's always the 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 red cut mask with the webbing and i thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. it's like right now it's just the black costume is his standard look um and he's going to have that in in craven's last hunt which i think is really appropriate for that comic too but it was interesting because i kept feeling like editorial or even the writers were like put him back in the red and blue like that's the spider-man that i like yeah there's definite fatigue with the black costume uh, around this time because like yeah, you said it's been years now it's mm-hmm. not the it's also just not like a sales tool probably the way it was where in in 252 on that cover you know it's pretty iconic and it's like oh new costume that's a big deal now it's mm-hmm. not a big deal he's been in this for dozens and dozens of amazing and spectacular issues uh there's definitely fatigue i don't i'd be curious if that was a thing that fans at the time were feeling um if they were maybe they were getting because i do feel like marvel writers and editors are surprisingly responsive of like written feedback like letters columns have more weight i think probably in their mind because it's like our social media feedback i guess in a lot of ways like it's stuff that gets in your head Mm -hmm. probably so if there was a lot of put him back in the in the traditional costume stuff maybe that was part of the drive towards as we get to uh amazing 300 you know like that's a pretty iconic red blue and and you know classic spidey costume issue so yeah i think you're definitely right it's definitely like the end of this era uh yeah yeah i agree i mean uh i I think that's interesting to think of like editorially the black costume is a mandate but maybe the writers are just like yeah it's not my Mm -hmm. spider-man though it's not the one i grew up with and wanting to like sneak in the red costume as often as they can what's interesting about that too is spidey peter parker being in the black costume for craven's last hunt works so well and it's Mm -hmm. really weird to imagine this story that we're Mm -hmm. about to talk about with him in the traditional red and blues i actually don't think it would be as effective so i i guess they did leave him in the black suit for long enough that uh he got to do they got to do the best story that's ever been done yeah. with him in it mm-hmm. right sans super wars number eight <laughs> which i consider its own little contained best story. just that we put that one off off on the shelf here that's you know that's untouchable uh but yeah, um, right. the, 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 the yeah. other tangent that I had before I move on is um, in in the versus Wolverine comic, he, there's a brief trip to um, to Times Square and he's mentioning how how lewd and horrible it is. And it was, it's classic scumbum 80s Times Square in New York. And mm. then a few mm-hmm. issues later, they're doing like the renovation on New York. It's like Dinkins New York is happening now with like now it's bright and shining Times Square. I thought that was really interesting because it just made me think of like which New York is better for Spider-Man. I was wondering what you guys think. Is it like gritty, dark, grungy, scumbum no, New that's, York that's of like Daredevil's the 70s York and 80s? That's Miller's Daredevil, like, right? Yeah. yeah that, and then there's like yeah. classic clean New York of like realistically it's modern new york for spider-man but he was operating for a long time in like a run-down new york too yeah yeah exactly I, I, you think yeah I, I generally like you know the da- daredevil mm-hmm. can have the, the gritty side of new york spider-man can be in the, the more like metropolis i guess the metropolis gotham split of new york can be spider-man and daredevil on either side of that i do think in comics it does tend to work better right with spider-man in more of the daylit glowing metropolis style new york city um when you think about like the ps4 spidey game for example that tends to work better when it's just overrun with crime and violence because that is the nature 
of of having things to do in a video game. Uh, Except but for it's a comic absurd, story, it's like how many how many people are getting kidnapped in times like. <laughs> There are so many people locked in trunks in Times Square at all times. Well, that's that's why I've never been. That's why I've never been is because I'm, I'm constantly. Well, and all those little bomb drones running around—that's terrifying. That's those little spider drones. Oh my gosh! Yeah, at the at the least, I would trip over one of those, and I can't afford that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a problem. But like in a comic, if it's that kind of overrun with the grim and the grit, um, well, I guess that kind of ties into the story we're going to talk about because Craven's Last Hunt is like. This is the dark Spider-Man story. This is the post-Watchmen, you know, Dark Knight Returns Spider-Man story. And it's a miracle that it works because Spider-Man often plays very poorly in that environment. It's just not, it's not an environment that is super conducive to the character of Peter Parker. So to answer the question, I think actually the cleaned up, quote unquote, you know, like the improved New York, right, is is probably more Spider-Man's ballgame because he is the ideal of a superhero in a fictional universe, even though Marvel's the world outside your window. It's like Daredevil's actually the world outside your window. You know, like well, that's, it, a, like that's actually that, like garbage uh, everywhere I, I, and all that. How much do, do modern Daredevil comics um, grapple with the fact that like Hell's Kitchen <laughs> is now a very up and coming yuppie neighborhood? Like <laughs> Until r- r- recently, time, I don't think hardly at all. Yeah. Last I, mean, time I, I, I grew up City. thinking Hell's Kitchen was the scariest neighborhood on Earth. I know. Last uh, time I went to New York time. City, I stayed at like a very snooty little like boutique hotel uh in hell's like right in the middle of hell's kitchen and it is you know a a very nice neighborhood now (laughs) and like imagining it being like daredevil being like this is my this is what i have to protect because you know it's always on the verge of destruction these five blocks yeah yeah these five blocks are so filled with crime i'm out here every day getting beat up (laughs) (laughs) you you it's also like a 10-minute walk from Times Stiltman. Square, right? Like, it's so close to the, the tourist area of Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. As it should be. As Now you're selling me on the move. Maybe I do have to become can, a Yankees can I Can I diverge for a second, tell you more about this Hell's Kitchen thing? This is actually pretty funny. Um, we, we got a hotel there on, um, like, Expedia or something, and it was just like, oh, it's a cool Whoa. non-chain hotel. They're, they're not a sponsor called... yet. They're not a yeah. sponsor. Let's, I don't even know if it was uh, them. It, yeah, kayak, okay. whatever. Um, it was called The Out, uh, this hotel. And it was just like, oh, cool. It, you know, it's not a Marriott or Motel 6 or whatever. It's not like a chain. And that, You're you sure know. it wasn't a Marriott with like half the lights out? No. So it's, <laughs> you're right. So it's called The Out. We found out after we booked it, it is a, bar, or a hotel that is catering towards gay men. Uh, specifically <laughs> that, that was when you found the, that out? <laughs> it was after you got there? <laughs> I know I, I found out before we showed up, but uh, after after I had booked it, but it is because it's the out, like you're out, uh, right? There are no <laughs> yep. closets in any of the rooms. That's <laughs> amazing. A very, a very good detail. That's it was good. great. It was like a really fun time staying there. Like it was it was a fun place. But uh, there was also a young couple there on their honeymoon when we were in the um, the lobby, and they looked like twenty, and the uh, the guy was like clearly on military leave, and I think they had made the same mistake we did, or not mistake, but had had didn't know booking it because they, they were absolutely terrified <laughs> of mm. the place because you walk in and there's like enormous. <laughs> wall-to-wall pictures of drag queens and you know it's very it's very much wearing its identity on its sleeve which is great but uh these people looked very sweaty over the <laughs> over what they had walked into anyway that that, that is, is hell's kitchen now that <laughs> so. is a good hell's kitchen story i appreciate yeah. you sharing that absolutely i do have a quick right. correction too uh amazing spider-man number 300 that is not the iconic cover i'm thinking of although it is iconic because he's still wearing a black costume on that cover for reasons we will definitely get to when we cover that issue coming up soon on MMY. But speaking of coming up soon, 
we're about to talk about Craven's Last Hunt, finally, after all that hype. Uh, it's crossover between three Spider-Man titles, although, kind of miraculously, it's written and drawn by the same creative team throughout it. So it hops titles, but it's got the same creative unit on it, which is great. It definitely works best yeah. uh, structured that way. It goes across Web of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man. It is six issues all told, and this is the... Again, it's the best dark Spider-Man story, to use an, an overused adjective, but it, it works here. Um, and it is, like, so far and away the biggest improvement on Craven the Hunter that we could have ever imagined that oh, yeah. it is it is truly astonishing. Like, Craven the Hunter has never been and never will be as as important as he is here in a story in which he goes hunting for Spider-Man for one last time. And it truly has one last time feel to it in a way that comics superhero comics especially at this point i mean again like we kicked off in 61 we're on 1987 they just run they just go and go and go and craven's last time actually feels like oh this will be the last story for one of these characters um which is a really hard thing to pull off so zach i know you hadn't read this before uh, I matt <laughs> i know you have because i edited your essay and watched your video uh, i'm curious to hear both of your takes matt let's start with you uh what makes this uh, a special spider-man story in your view yeah i mean it's it's Hard to oversell a comic like this because it's been so praised for, you know, 25 years now. Am I getting that right? 30 years now, right? Wait, oh, 30 over plus. Th yeah, 30 35, plus. 35 this, years now. And, and um, the great thing about it is, is that it's not just a, a dark story. It's a very dark story. And I don't typically go for dark, dark Spider-Man stories. It's not really something that draws me to the character. It's usually not some of my favorite stories regarding the character but what i like about it is it's it's really it's thematic richness um that just you can tell that uh demateus had really thought a lot about this story for a while which and we can talk about the backstory of his writing of, of this in a minute but everything that's going on from spider-man's struggle to craven's mental struggle to the way that you can see like the torment going on in the minds of everyone it is a really psychologically torturous story that earns its darkness um, yeah. that really it's not just dark for dark's sake. And what's interesting is that Craven descends to such a dark place so fast and he brings the world down around him to some degrees like a black hole to a degree. And everyone else is kind of resisting that to some degree. So Spider-Man is struggling with all this, the things that he's going through here. But he doesn't become some um, different character. Demetrius doesn't suddenly like characterize him in some different way. Right. It's not like suddenly Spider-Man's all messed up. He, he's just, but he's been so like psychologically affected, and that you get the um, the art by Zach is dark and it's rain drenched and it's slimy and, and it you can feel the story Very like kind of crawl yeah crawl under your skin to some degree. It's like a it's an un it's a really well made story that is great to read but it is an unpleasant story um mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i really enjoy the the way that that's all so cohesively told throughout it and it's this like math it's it, cliche to say that the descend the dark the dark night of the soul but it is that to to a degree and it's craven's in his dark night of the soul and he puts spider-man into his and do they work their way out of it and that's the struggle of the story. And, and uh, not everyone does. Um, and that's, that's so you, you earn the redemption and you, you earn the like 
the 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 crawling out literally the crawling out of the darkness in the story and i i i think it's great and and every time i read it it's it's more and more messed up to me um uh, to some degree um because it has like some very dark ideas going on here and it's not reveling in the darkness um but it's exploring it in a way that feels real uh, despite the the heightened nature of, of the story in general yeah yeah well said zach this is your first time reading it mm-hmm. did it, it obviously it's been hyped up you know yeah. you, you can't go into this not knowing it's a big deal uh what was what was your take did it did it live up to expectations did it disappoint um where'd you net out i i don't know i mean my expectations like couldn't be higher so i, I don't think it's fair great to, start like it did it didn't quite live <laughs> up start live up to them but i, I think yeah. only in the way of like I feel like I just need more time with it. Like, I just read it today. So, like, I, I think it is excellent. I don't have any complaints. Like, I'm not I'm not, uh, I'm not negative on it whatsoever. But uh, I, I think... What like, What did you it, think you might get out of it that you didn't? Like, what what was a, you know, a high uh, expectation so, that you had that maybe it didn't hit? So what what I adored about it was the characterization of Craven, right? Like, and I loved... I mean, it, it just, the impact of Craven, the, the way that Craven reacts at the end once he kind of, quote-unquote, has won in his head, um, at the end when he has won is, is so refreshing and unlike anything we've seen in a villain before, right? That, like, truly his motivation is not some kind of, like, oh, I, I you know, violence or... Uh, you know, I need to, I'm stealing something or power or whatever, right? Like it is, it is so pure and it's like, I need to defeat Spider-Man and then surpass him, right? And like, I proved that I can kill you. Like it's, I basically killed you. Even if I didn't literally kill you, I became you and I became better than you. And he's wrong that he became better than him because he doesn't like fully understand what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. But the fact that Craven is so like convinced of this, it's such a tragedy. I think that is like so compelling. Um, the only thing I think I would have liked a little more is, and, and maybe this is just in my reading, understanding why Craven thinks that Spider-Man is what he is, right? Like, so Craven kind of views Spider-Man as the spider and it's this almost like mythical idea of this like this predator and this this fighter um you know he's a crime fighter right um and uh yeah this the mythical idea of superhero um and i don't quite get why right like so the 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 big flaw in his thinking is that he doesn't view spider-man as peter parker the man right and that that kind of becomes the big thing at the end is like what mm-hmm. makes spider-man spider-man is his humanity that he you know his love for mary jane is you know compassion for the people that he's even beating up his compassion for them as we see for vermin at the end but like i don't i feel like i didn't quite get that that was like the one little piece of the puzzle missing is like what about spider-man what what from craven's point of view mm-hmm. makes him view spider-man in this crooked way right like what what is tainting his view of spider-man because he talks about like feels to me just bit like he's because that's his rogue because spidey's his hero yeah you but know, in, a, in a way where they're not that's a very enemies. simple yeah, sure. explanation and it, that might be it but that feels very yeah. simple for a comic that i feel otherwise has so mm. much going on and is so like layered about yeah. you know all the themes that it's bringing up um yeah i mean matt do you have any insight into that because he, he talks about like oh i came from mm. russia and russia was destroyed by the same thing like he, he i feel like he's dancing around it and yeah. maybe it's just something i'm not getting like he, he's he constantly is talking about this like i don't know that this spirit of uh of civilization that's missing right and he finds it more in the hunt and you know this like purity of uh of civilization or whatever um it's it's definitely a retcon to some degree of Craven's line of thinking, right? Like 
he is obsessed with Spider-Man, like all throughout his previous appearances, um, you know, hunts him as this big game. And then uh, DeMatteis definitely like mm-hmm. takes something and breaks it in his brain, like to, to make the story happen. And probably I think that Marvel editorial was like, yeah, you can go ahead and do whatever you want with that character because there's not a big deal. And and the con- so the concept of this story came before the subjects of the story. So DeMatteis thought of this back in 1984. And yeah, maybe maybe you're picking up on that, right? And like the way that he's like... Yeah, that's, yeah. oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> no, just just from your, your video, I was going to say like, oh, I just read about this, but no, I watched it in your video, which, which we should point out. Like everyone should go watch Matt's video on this on YouTube. It's a pretty new one of your more recent videos on YouTube, and it's an excellent, like, little 15-minute essay on Craven's Last Hunt. It's really good. Oh, well, thanks. Oh. But to anyone that, that, that hasn't hasn't watched it yeah, he thought of it back in 1984, and DeMatteis was a freelancer, and he'd kind of jump between Marvel and DC whenever he wanted. In 1984, he went to Marvel and said that he wanted it to be about Wonder Man and Grim Reaper, and mm-hmm. that Grim Reaper would defeat Wonder Man, bury him, and then Wonder Man would come back from the grave and, and succeed. And then he it got rejected, and then he went to DC, and then he pitched it as Batman and the Joker, but that just came after uh, Killing Joke, and DC editorial said no. And then he pitched it again, and he said, how about uh, Batman and Hugo Strange? And then they said no again. And then he went back to Marvel, and then he pitched it one more time with, with Spider... He said it was going to be Spider-Man and a brand new villain. Um, and then as then they said, okay, start working on it. And he pretty quickly was like, oh, he decided it was Craven because he was thinking like, oh, I need something better than a brand new villain for this to feel more resonant. And then he was reading Dostoevsky and, uh, you know, Crime and Punishment, Brothers Karamazov and all that. And and he realized he was thumbing through like a Marvel handbook and realized that Craven was Russian. And he like the thematic elements, he said it kind of like opened up Craven's mind to him. So then he brought Craven in as as the character, and Craven wasn't like a huge villain, kind of like a forgotten C-list Spider-Man villain. So they said, "Yeah, go with it. You can you can do whatever you want." So I think you're definitely picking up on something about the themes and the central motivation of the story coming before the long-standing characterization sure. of Craven here. Yeah, I, yeah. I, oh no, I, I, yeah. So I don't mean like what is the motivation in the past for Craven because I, honestly, I don't care about that. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm usually all about like throw out whatever you need to throw out to tell your story now. Right, that that's always been that that appeals to me more than like caring about uh, the characterization. So it's totally fine mm-hmm. that like or the continuity. Yeah. it's totally fine to me that you know, this is a new Craven, right? And like this is a very much a Craven we've never seen before. I'm just mean even in this story, like it's such a big part of this story that he just misunderstands who Spider-Man is, and that's the whole crux of this. And it ends with his tragedy. I mean, he he finds like almost a peace in his mm-hmm. destruction of Spider-Man, even though he doesn't yeah. destroy, he doesn't succeed. He doesn't win except on his own twisted terms. And I just like, I feel like I wanted a, a closer glimpse of why or, or what that really meant for him. And may, maybe that's just something I need on a reread, you know? Um, I do feel like it gives pretty good insight into what Craven's thinking throughout this. I, I, I think you're asking very fair questions, um, but we do get a lot of his thought process in oh, terms about, of about like when he watches Spider-Man so. fight vermin, for example, you know, and yeah. then he literally helps Spider-Man, walk up the stairs after this is after craven has killed and Amazing. buried him like he oh, the way he scene. appreciates him then and he's like it, it's this sort of impossible t- 
turn almost for a villain to like you get this sense of insight into oh he mm-hmm. respects the heck out of Spider-Man you know Matt when you're saying oh this is originally a Joker and Batman story you can see that dynamic for sure like in the way the killing joke ends where they're laughing together and then if you're Grant Morrison I, he, he definitely says, Batman killing Joker but that's you know he, neither here nor he there. He has that amazing but, line where he's like something like uh, you know oh I realized he, he's a good man under here right like he, he, yeah. he has this pity for Spider-Man he's just like yeah he can't like I'm the better Spider-Man I've won I promise you he's like listen I promise I'm never gonna hunt again and then he's like he sees the mm-hmm. like the goodness in Spider-Man and he's like yeah I think there's a good man under that mask and like just that thorough like Craven needs nothing more from him like this this you know whatever is haunting him has been so thoroughly expunged from him but that is tragic right that's so tragic that he has nothing left and he had this obsession and that's all he Mm -hmm. had right like there's no joy to that now right there's no um there's no redemption to it right like it's kind of this um this this i don't know what what, like greek tragedy idea of like seeking what you want and then you get it and well it's over now like that that was it there's nothing there's nothing more right there's no happy ending it's just over um it's hunt yeah there's i think it's 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 around there when yeah, Spider-Man comes back and confronts him, and I think doesn't like Craven like touch his face for a second. Yes, oh, he and, it's like, the same. It's like the same yeah. movement almost. Yeah, he touches his cheek gently. Yeah, as like almost a, a consoling gesture. And of, like, Spider-Man's it's okay. like you yeah. don't. Yeah, Spider-Man's I defeated so angry, you, but I, yeah. I don't need. And, he, anything. and Spider-Man literally says, "I I don't understand." Because he's he's kind of expressing the same thing you're you're vocalizing, Zach, in the sense of like, what what is going on here? <laughs> like, what is what is going through Craven's head? But we do get a fair amount of that through the narrative captions. Um, I do have a couple other thoughts in terms of Craven's presentation. I think this is probably my favorite Mike Zeck work um, ever. I, I think just, he does phenomenal artwork throughout this. The fact that he does, I actually always forget he does as much of this book as he does. Like he's doing the covers too and all that stuff. Um, he draws Craven a lot like the comedian. I think because Craven has this ghoulish grinning uh, like face throughout this book. He's so happy once, but in a just in a maniacal way throughout this. And it always brings to mind Watchmen's comedian in sort of this, this sure, violent yeah, happiness that, that is in no way um, actually like, a, like in no way do we smile back at that smile. You run from it, you know, and that's kind of what Craven's got going on throughout this. I do also, I, I love it for kind of centering things surprisingly we haven't really talked about this on the just happened spider-man and mj marriage where like that is a crucial core to what keeps peter moving you know so like a a hero being buried alive is something that we've seen in media now across like buffy the vampire slayer across batman r.i.p um across other stories but this is definitely one of the earlier instances that i've ever read as a fan and that that idea of being totally trapped of having just to think about what is it you have in your life that you're willing to claw back for like that's such a powerful spider-man moment too i actually like it more than the spider-man lifts the heavy weight in amazing spider-man number 33 if this be my destiny um even though obviously that stan and steve you know 31 to 33 story is so iconic and so essential Mm. to spider-man like this is actually the version that I that hits me more that I look at and think like because it's like a whole issue, you know, it's like a whole build, and then you have yep. that cover of Spider-Man coming out of the grave, of coming out of the ground. It's it's awesome. Like it's just yeah, it's, it's a great moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. If, I think I might prefer the um, if this be my destiny lift better. I mean, they're all part of like an it reiterating this whole Spider-Man versus odds that are greater than even his great strength can allow him to do so only through like his will right he can muster up that you know intense like soul 
you know, bearing strength, which is such a crucial part of the character. And like, it's been reiterated so many times over the years and they put in the movies too. Yeah. You don't, yeah. you don't get mm-hmm. to this without the original, like n- yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I just, there's something about, I, it probably it's just part of it is the modernization yeah. of Craven's last hunt feeling modern. Like you, a lot of this story you could publish today and it would feel like a comic of the era. I think um, it, with certain recontextualizations here and there, uh, which, you know, is to the story's credit. I do, you sharing that history, and it, I had not read this about the background for Craven's Last Hunt before, but like the idea of this being a Wonder Man comic is mind-boggling yeah. because I can't I can't tell if it would totally change my perception of Simon Williams. Like, mm-hmm. would I actually love Wonder Man if he had this amazing J.M. DeMatteis and Mike Zach story, one of those, or like, would I just continue to not think about him? You vaguely care about Warlock talk about it. because Jim Starlin <laughs> just nailed it with Warlock, Wasted. right? Yeah, like, right. Oh, I guess, like, Adam Warlock? I guess I do like Adam Warlock because I like right, Jim exactly. Starlin comics. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> would there be a whole alternate history of Wonder Man suddenly being this awesome character that's had, like, so many solo series and he has a huge following because this comic suddenly, like, changed everything about right. him? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing because mm-hmm. the Batman Joker thing is like, yeah, of course I can see it. I, mm-hmm. I think DC probably made the right call in the sense of the Killing Joke hitting a lot of similar themes and ideas. Obviously, Alan Moore and Brian Boland do it in their own way. Um, I don't I, know that I, this story would stand out in the Batman canon in the same way. Joker would never have those like quiet moments that would work the same. I mean, I, I think like mm-hmm. that was you the couldn't most sell it the same way. Me. No, I don't. I mean, you, I can't picture Joker having like genuine like pity and like almost it almost feels like a real empathy for spider-man yeah. at the end like right you know when he's right. broken him and he's just like he, he feels bad for him right and he's just like okay well go go live your life i have nothing more to prove here i don't i don't see that working the same with joker um <laughs> you know I, th- I think my favorite thing about craven beating spider-man in this comic is he then does superior spider-man before that was a, a title that anybody cared about or thought about you know what i mean he does the whole superior spider-man thing he says i'm gonna put on your costume i'm gonna be you and i'm gonna be better than you and then having proved that i'm done like i'm good I, you can go do whatever you want that's an amazing idea that yeah. i don't like we've seen other characters pretend to, you know chameleon does it all the time um, Daredevil, you see Bullseye do it. Like characters pretend to be the other to get them in trouble mm-hmm. or to wreck their name. I don't know that we've really seen anybody in Marvel or in For super sure. comics up to this point being like, "I'm gonna be you so that I can show everyone how it's really done." And then having done that, I'm gonna let you live with that information. Even though Craven, I don't know that he's super successful at it, but the idea of it is very compelling. I mean, in, that's the thing. In Craven's mind, he has totally won, right? Like Craven's mind for Spider-Man, there's no coming back from this, right? Like, how would you ever crawl back from showing yourself so thoroughly? just you know debased and humiliated and like you are you cannot be you can never be as good as craven was as at being spider-man i i'd be curious to see i mean a little epilogue to this you know like if this is something lingering in peter parker's mind right like if those doubts really stuck around for him i mean he has kind of the victory where he fights through that right and he has to go fight vermin um and kind of not kill vermin right which is kind of part of the like the test of him you know overcoming being better than craven does vermin bring this story down because the first time i read it i because i had no attachment or investment to vermin who is this rat like he basically he's a lizard but a rat um i i those moments kind of never hit for me i actually thought looking at it again especially by the end of the comic when spider-man's you know he's wailing on him because he's furious but then he's also letting him go because he is peter parker and he has empathy towards this you know poor creature um i felt it more this time did you guys think like does that character mm-hmm. slow 
the the success of this story because otherwise you know no, the, all I, we've talked about is craven and, and spider-man i think he's key right like i mean he's an he's an object in this yeah, more for sure. than a character right he's the he's the right like the 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 test right and and to that degree i think like maybe they spent a little too much time setting up who vermin was and like watching him literally eat a few <laughs> innocent women yeah. right like we yeah do that and m- yeah. maybe in a way that felt like superfluous and unnecessary establishment of that character like we didn't need to see him being quite so nasty i don't think that added much but um, be- i guess before, it maybe mm-hmm. adds to then peter's empathy by the end you know because when we yeah, when we can sure. then see the hero be like even you even yeah. you get my sympathy i Maybe it sells yeah. that a little harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, he, he's yeah. Like you're saying, Zach, he's he's definitely a tool in the the narrative of the story. He gets enough like internal monologue and get to see that he's more than just a, a psychotic uh, cannibal, which is very disturbing but appropriate for the story. But he's definitely there for for Craven to prove himself and then for Spider Man to reprove himself. And like you were talking about the whole superior Spider Man concept of it all, like. By the end, Spider-Man has definitely reestablished himself and it's important for him because Craven kills himself at the end of issue five and this is a six issue series and issue six is all about that reestablishment. You know, there's a whole he's in the sewer, he's having the PTSD flashbacks of being in the grave and then he has to fight vermin and then he's angry he's scared of him and then he's angry with him and then he's sympathetic with him and then he's scared of him again and then he triumphs over him and it's this sort of blend of all these emotions and highs and lows and so he's he's definitely going through all that it's almost like exercising like everything that's happened to him in the the past issues so that he can move forward and Mateus did write a a graphic novel follow-up called soul of the hunter um which may or may not be on your reading list it's not essential but basically what happened was that after this series after this 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 uh this story arc came out um he got a lot of complaints by people saying that he was glorifying mm. suicide and that he was like glorifying craven suicide and he was like that's not at all what i was trying to do and it was i forget when exactly it came out it was, it was several years later i think it was the beginning of the 90s and he did soul of the hunter which um, deals with a lot of that and deals with uh, Peter confronting it and sort of this whole like dealing with Craven's suicide and, and not to spoil it for anything, but it you get a lot of uh, supernatural elements in that to kind of deal with the fallout. And for him, it's, it's totally not necessary because I think the glorifying the suicide through Craven is total, a total misreading of this story. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah but totally, it, it was totally. him making that explicit. O- only because, if you like read yeah. this and thought mm-hmm. like, yes, Craven is correct, right. and he actually wins, right? If you read this and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. wow, he really did humiliate Spider-Man, and he got the last laugh because he, you know, he. I guess it's maybe it's that idea of like a glorious death. It's like he he is satisfied. He Craven is satisfied with mm-hmm. everything that he did, and now like. There's that idea of like, I don't know, even like in the hunter being like, I just, as long as I go out on my own terms, you know, like I've, I've succeeded. I can, I can understand where people are coming from. I do agree with you. I I mean, definitely that is not the intent is to glorify that. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, it's a sensitive topic. So it's something you gotta be careful with. I I have not read that follow-up graphic novel, which is again, I'm looking at it now. It's by, it's 92. It's by uh, Demandis and Mike Zach again. Um, I need to check that out. Yeah, maybe because that. Could... that is an actual graphic novel, and it is uh, it's going to be worth checking out. I think. I, I also, well, I've got the uh, mm. I've got the deluxe edition of uh, Craven's Last Hunt here that came out with a couple years ago, and it's got 
the whole series. It has Soul of the Hunter. It has Craven's first appearance, and it has something else. It has Craven's first hunt, I believe, and a couple other things. Oh, and then the What If Craven the Hunter had killed Spider Man. It's all in there. Is Craven's first hunt just like a really bad effort to get like a deer? Is yeah. it just like really <laughs> failed, like very common kind around. of hunting? Yeah, that that would be ideal. <laughs> Can we talk about the poor animals in this this, <laughs> this comic? It opens up with Craven literally just uh, punching a gorilla's head off, and then later when Spider-Man comes out of the grave, he walks into Craven's mansion, and I think he punches the head off of a cat, like a a lion, right? Like he also Spider-Man just murders some big cat by decapitating it. Well, I think those are all stuffed. I think those are yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure those are all stuffed. Are they? Oh, I didn't get that. I mean, that makes sense. If Spider-Man started to punch the head off a real lion, I did not get I, that. I need I th- to check. I, thought, I need to read this again. I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, it did happen, but I guess if it was stuffed, right? I mean, uh, Spider-Man does, or Craven does, love to like warm up by oh, playing yeah. some oh, big yeah. game, right? That is like a, a Craven trope. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say that was just reminding me that we we referenced it and joking at the beginning, but the scene of of Craven in the room full mm-hmm. of spiders oh, yeah. is so yes, disturbing. Yes, yes. And it's it's like, is this completely yeah. real? What's in his brain? Obviously, when the spiders turn into like form a giant, you know, um, Power Rangers esque mecha spider <laughs> that he fights, that's in his brain. But then the whole like guzzling, du- like hundreds of live spiders is so disturbing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that all plays into the idea of like what he thinks it means to become yeah. Spider Man, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's some kind yeah. of primordial power, right? This like mystical power rather than. Right. In, it's the, it, well, that's interesting because again, yeah. touched Davy touched on the superior Spider-Man thing that this kind of does before, and then you're talking about like it's almost this totem-esque idea of Spider-Man, which mm-hmm. J. Michael yeah. Straczynski makes a very literal right. thing uh, in the early 2000s. Not to spoil too much and jump ahead, but it becomes that becomes a major like re retcon of of spider-man and what spider-man means yeah and you can almost see that in here and that and straczynski's thing is to make that literal and make that an actual thing and here it's you know craven being completely mistaken and i think that's like the major like component of the story is craven mistaking spider-man to be this mythical totemic being being completely wrong. Yeah. And then you tie that in with um, how Demetrius repurposes William Blake's uh, poem, The Tiger, as the spider in this. And that becomes the wraparound um, poem for this entire story. And in that, in The Tiger, it, it's Blake's observations of a tiger and being in awe of this, um, this you know, creature, this animal, and seeing it as, you know, it's about, like, the idea is that, you know, God formed the tiger and this tiger is more unknowable than I can ever know. You know, what um, hand or eye frame thy fearful symmetry? And it's, you know, Blake seeing this real creature and being in awe of it and knowing I can never fully understand this being. And here it's the spider and it's Craven looking at Spider-Man and looking at him as this mythical being. But Craven thinks that he completely understands him now. And that as in understanding him, he can become yeah. him. So Craven is like tragically mistaken. So Craven's whole perception of Spider-Man and what he sh- what he is and how he can become him is tragic. And that's why his suicide at the end is a tragedy because it's completely yeah. wrong-headed. Yes, right. Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. If you think yeah. that this is 
you, if you don't get that, if you're just like think Craven really wins, <laughs> then I guess I can see the the argument towards. I the guess glory, to come back though, just know, to totally suicide. go in a circle, like Craven's very cool in this comic. Like this is the most you're ever gonna like Craven the Hunter. He becomes knowable. He you know to talk about knowing uh-huh, something like sure. Craven becomes knowable. We we get to know so much of his background and and what he does and his inner workings and all these things that never happen when he just shows up with lion eyes on his nipples and comes running <laughs> in to, to fight Spider-Man in a zoo. You know? So like it sells Craven as a figure yep. to to look up to in a way that actually no other work does. So then when you do... Well, I mean, that that first issue does so much of that with one scene where Craven catches Spider-Man, just like we've probably seen a couple times before, right? He tranquilizes him, he catches him in a net, and Spider-Man is thinking to himself, He, he there, there's this, like dueling voices in his head and one voice is a little panicky but the other voice is like oh he's just like vulture and doc ock i know all these old idiots like he'll take me back to his base he'll rant for a few you know he's gonna rant at me for a couple hours and then i'll find a way to punch him and suck him in the jaw and craven just pulls out Mm -hmm. a rifle and shoots him like no no to do there's no uh yeah like ceremony to it and that is just that immediate like oh this is you know this is not the craven we know this is not any hero we know Mm -hmm. or villain we know right like that immediately establishes him as much much more serious of a threat than we've seen in well and it makes future spider-man stories it makes it challenging for them to live up to that threat like i i think craven's last hunt is kind of inarguably a a top spider-man story i don't know if it's the top spider-man story but it's a top one and like comics from this point forward in spider-man verse it's very hard to like try to capture what happens here to measure something and not feel like a replication um it's not the same thing but it's a little bit like the watchman effect on comics as a whole where it's then like trying to do watchman again is actually not learning the lessons of watchman necessarily and the same holds true for craven's last Mm -hmm. hunt and future quote-unquote dark attempts to reflect like oh it was a dark story and that's why it was good it's like no 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 like there's there's so much more to this that makes this a powerful mm-hmm. spider-man story it's not just because we took things seriously and, and tackled mature subjects you know there's yeah. a lot more to it the storytelling here is is just excellent like you're, you're talking about the dueling um, voices in the head that you have it, almost every character has like two going on with oh, diff- so slightly good. different um, colored caption boxes where it's oh, like you're like with, uh, yeah. a counterpost with Spider-Man versus Wolverine <laughs> where Spider-Man and Wolverine both had inner monologues but they yeah, were done in the nuts. same yeah. caption style and the same they're in the same yellow boxes and it would cut back and forth while they were together and switch narrative voices and it would be like wait this is Wolverine, like you would lose track of that happening. So yes, sorry, just a, just a point out, like contrasted yeah. with that. No, I, to- I, that, I, I totally forgot about that, but that was yeah. really like frustrating. And I liked, I mean, I liked all the comics coming before this, you know, like we said, there's highs and lows, but this is such like a step up from everything else. And it still reads so well today. And then you compare it to everything else. And it's like, it's no wonder this was like a mm-hmm. sensation when it came out. Like, it's no wonder that made such a huge imprint because it, you know, it, it, it totally leveled up everything. Um, and yeah, so you've got the two caption boxes and Zach's artwork is so amazing. And the colorist. Yeah. Um, oh, Janet Jackson. Yes. Just wild. Jackson. Like, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, like that, that coloring is just, <clears throat> I, I actually got to really see that in your video, right? Because you would put up all these different panels side by side by side in your video. And it really just showed like from. Take, looking at it from a distance, just the color yeah. palette on this. It, it's very incredible. rich. 
it's very smoky and like we're saying wet and slimy and and grainy and like i love the way that uh zach has a lot of like really thin tall panels Mm -hmm. that like really break down moments because if you did one single panel where it was just like one frame of a character and you had all the different like caption boxes you could read it through and you could see the progression of of his the inner monologue um but when you slice it like there's a lot of like Mm. six tiny thin panels like boom 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 and there's a lot of like the dueling captions in each and it breaks down time like uh, you know a couple seconds go by in real time but it feels like it's stretched out into eternity and it sort of like morphs <clears throat> like it morphs time like it, it slows it down and changes it and makes it feel like 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 you're you're losing your mind like the characters are losing their mind and they're losing their perceptions of time and reality and it just it breaks it down in a way that's perfect for the way that like craven is having his whole mental breakdown which is likely that he's bipolar which i talked about a little bit in the video because of the way he's like the his emotions are like flopping back and forth so fast where he'll go from like you know being exactly and and spider-man is hallucinating and all this and even like mary jane is having like her own like thing where there's like where she's like oh where's peter i'm sure he's fine and like suddenly like thinking about he's dead he's dead and like (laughs) it like right and there's that whole the whole like the 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 comic also starts to blend whether something supernatural is going on too because suddenly like vermin is seeing craven like hunting him like there's that scene where craven has the rat in the cage and he's like taunting it with the knife and then vermin's in the sewer and he's looking up and he's Mm -hmm. seeing like craven hunting him and it's like well vermin doesn't even know who that is how is he seeing him so like all of reality is sort of being like sucked into this vortex of madness to some degree and everyone has to like dig themselves out of it by the end yeah fascinating yeah i mean like it's a comic that i like i can't wait to read again you know i'm gonna i'm gonna buy this one because it's gonna be i want this one on my shelf like you know i i i didn't i think maybe just like there's so much going on i didn't grapple with it as much as like love and war and actually speaking of love and war i i think like mm-hmm. this and maybe love and war are two of the only comics yeah. we've seen that i feel like have as much going on thematically and like tie that in so like subtly Born and again carefully I, I and confidently is up, is up there um, definitely in but, terms of themes i yeah uh yeah yeah i, I don't know <laughs> That was, no, that I, was I quite, previous, yeah. Don't get me started. Don't don't get me started on Born Again. This is my favorite comic of all time. So yeah, yeah. No, I I quite like Bo- <laughs> no no shade on Born Again. I quite like Born Again. Um, but like I th- I think Craven's Last Hunt like has to have well Secret Wars too because like we forgot Secret not Wars too. Not only is it- <laughs> all right, shut the shut up shut up. <laughs> not Can only I just is, say real is, well let, let me finish this point. Not not only <laughs> yeah, is yeah, it yeah, like this like thematically rich comic, but Craven's Last Hunt I think gets the edge because it's also a mainstream Marvel superhero mm-hmm. comic. Unlike Love and War, which is or, like or you said this. You don't matter, hand yeah. Love and War to somebody who wants to get into superhero comics. Right? Like it's not really a Daredevil comic. It's not you know, it's not like particularly indicative of what superhero comics can be. Craven's Last Hunt is. It like really threads that needle beautifully of being kind of a, a pop mainstream item and also an art piece right like mm-hmm. i do wonder you know if you give somebody this and you're like check out craven's last hunt I'm like that was amazing give me other spider-man stories like this mm-hmm. <laughs> and just kind of be like uh sure you like how do you feel about <laughs> it's kind of Todd tough mcfarlane <laughs> 
Yeah, like Venom's maybe spooky. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um, Matt, you were gonna yeah. say. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was I was just gonna say I'm a big fan of people who suffer for their art. So I just want to say I was a big fan of you two doing the Secret Wars two video because you definitely su- uh, your podcast because you definitely <laughs> suffered for that podcast. Oh, yes, yes, we did. <laughs> uh, we took some so hits J- for that one. JMD so thank Mateus, you for your appreciation. I, I've read his Captain America, which I love. That's one of my favorite runs we've read. Good for Marvel Good so stuff. far, and this incredible. So like, what else by him? Like, what what else is? He does a Doctor Strange graphic novel called Into Shambhala that I thought about putting on the list, but did not. I kind of couldn't super get into it, um, but probably that's worth checking out if you really love the author. Uh, he partners with Keith Giffen and Kevin McQuire on Justice League International. Oh, I, I have the omnibus over on that, the, uh, That's the post-crisis <laughs> Justice League run. It is it, That's one of yeah. my favorites. It's probably... Probably my favorite Justice League run. Um, I gotta get Grant Morrison's JLA making time not included. Uh, so that's worth checking out. He also does a Doctor Fate series shortly after that that is more comedic in tone. Uh, that is super underrated. Mm. I don't think it's even collected. I had to get all the the back issues, but that one is worth checking. Cool. Out. Okay. Yeah. I just like he, he's a voice I didn't or a, a writer I did not know. Like I didn't know his <laughs> name before we started this, and now I'm just like he, he writes these really like underrated. I mean, this, this I still don't know his name because he's always using those tricky initials. Yes, yeah. This this is not underrated. I couldn't this tell you what they stand but, for. But like that Captain America run doesn't get talked about that much, and I I adore that run. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, All right. Gonna do this it. was awesome, Matt. You were yeah, awesome. Matt, Thanks for joining. So everybody, next time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, next time on the show, we're going to talk about Thor. Uh, maybe I don't know, Zach. Do you want to? Should we do it? Thor? Should we talk yeah, about yeah, more I Thor? Mean, I, I yeah, like Thor. It's fine. <laughs> I, I okay. Let, I, was, I love Simonson's Thor. So I'm already much. upset. <laughs> so it's always yeah. it's always painful to hear these about, about L- Thor. Hey, l- listen, listen. Here's the thing. Do you, go back and listen to pre Simonson's Thor. I was salivating for this run. I was so hungry for this run. So no one is more bummed out that like this is not this does not work for me than me. Right? Like I, this is not a, an axe I want to be grinding. I, I wish I wish this was working for me it would be yeah trying to understand the motivations of an agenda here would be uh would be a tricky thing so we're going to talk thor we're going to talk fantastic four versus x-men miniseries we're going to talk then fantastic four number 300 another big wedding issue although one that i don't really want to admit (laughs) happened and then uh and then we're going to talk some big grunewald cap 332 to 335 the choice all those issues are listed in the show notes and again if you want access to the full reading order list for all of the years all of them you can check it out at patreon.com slash my marvelous year hey and if you want to if you want to add a comic to the list on patreon 15 bucks on patreon you can uh, you can start adding comics one we do have one of those uh, a patreon added comic coming up um add trouble yeah soon coming up add, soon someone add, threw in a, an Mark x-men Miller's issue trouble. Uh, at the end of 1987 <laughs> here's the thing is you can add as many I mean, <laughs> comics like post 2000 as you want as awful as they might be and i don't know if we'll get there <laughs> I, have, I have no idea if we'll actually get to that point so by all means uh throw in those comics yeah, yeah. go for it I, mean, we, I, I would actually say i don't know what your my curiosity <laughs> we, we to read trouble is trouble. like an eight out of ten i'll admit because I, I haven't read it but my curiosity <laughs> to read marvel was like an eight out of ten and that was <laughs> that was the worst experience of my life i mean tr- trouble no you should read trouble i mean trouble you can read in four minutes right the like the first issue it's a very easy to i'm gonna hold comic. you to that i i read it back when i was like 18 or 19 and basically was like well that was weird i don't know what that was about <laughs> like who are yeah. Like it completely devoid of Spider-Man, like didn't really fully grapple. Oh, you read it. I didn't know you read um, it as it came out. That's fascinating. Like, okay. Yeah, uh but like 
I don't know. I, I, you should read it because like it goes down real easy. I mean, it's you know, it's a modern comic. It's only a couple minutes. It's not Marvel. You're selling you this so hard like, right now. What? Why? What? Why? Yeah. Why? Oh what? <laughs> it's, uh, it's incredible. You I'll do a think video about it that. when it when it. <laughs> <Put> it <laughs> don't. I mean, the funniest thing is why is why Mark Millar? What is he? That doing is fascinating too. Yeah. Like, no. It's because it's not something that you there's think definitely a behind the scenes I mean, story there that like, I would find very compelling. Yeah. I, I will agree yeah, with that. It's, <laughs> he was just real horny for Aunt May. <laughs> like, it happens. It happens. Like, I need a way to justify yeah, this. Yeah, Doc Ock knows what he's ta- feeling okay, and talking right. about. But anyway, if you want to hear us um, not be horny for Aunt May, that's going to be next week when we don't talk, just because we're not talking oh, about yeah. Spider-Man comics. So it's, it's not going to come up. Um, but yeah, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Again, you can find Matt's uh, channel over at, it's called, just called Matt Draper on YouTube. And uh, we'll include a link in the show notes uh, should I remember to do so, which I will try to. Thank you for having um, me. So thanks so much for joining, Matt. It was awesome. Zach. Th- Zach, thanks for joining too. I appreciate that you took oh. the time this evening to come hop on and talk mm. comics with us. And uh, no anything problem. else? What else do we plug? Music for the show is by Disaster Piece, and we will see you next year. Oh, see you next year, everyone. If they'll have me see back. See you next year. I was waiting for Matt to say it. <laughs> sign us off. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. You, you're not supposed to. It. No, no, it wasn't It wasn't that. I just like, I zoned out and I was just like waiting to be the third person to say it. I guess. For, for all three of us. <laughs> see you next year. All right. Time.